When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello. So we're almost there. This time next week, it'll all be over and we can look forward to the summer off and uh, Euro Fantasy. Now, we're definitely not doing anything for that. We're going to have a bit of a break. Uh, only a bit of a break, mind. We've got some cool stuff coming in the summer. Nonetheless, that's not what we're here to talk about this evening. It's to pick over the ruins of an interesting, to say the least, final blank game week of the season and the last but one of the season itself, which hopefully will be the last set of fixtures ever without any fans, everything permitting, everything crossed and wood being touched everywhere. No, not Chris Wood. That'd be weird. We are Who Got the Assist. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at WGTA underscore FBL. Nick's at WGTA underscore Nick, Anthony at FPL Stag, and also on Instagram, WGTA.FPL. The mini league code is CPSULF if you want to slide into it now. And unfortunately, no Nick tonight, as you can probably tell by me doing that due to family commitments. All become clear very, very soon on that, I'm sure. Uh, but Anthony is here, happy to spend his Sunday night nattering with me for your benefit, for some reason. You are right, sir? Yes, indeed, Tom. Yeah, good to be back and good to be on the pod today. Particularly enjoyed, I guess, Alisson's goal at the weekend and also Leicester winning the cup final. Those scenes afterwards were particularly class to see with the fans yeah. back and everything. It was it was a bit more emotional than I expected it. Like I, I yeah. would have a soft spot for Leicester, I think, like almost everyone. But at the same time, it was particularly um touching, yeah. I think, to see I didn't all the to get fans. a lump in my throat watching the chairman's uh, top uh, lifting yes. the trophy and looking more emotional. I I just didn't expect to feel that. Um, you yeah, know, that sort of coming radiating from my TV, I suppose. And even seeing like Yuri Tielemann and uh, Brendan Rogers just hugging and crying and chatting, I was like, I, I can't believe I'm being kind of a bit overcome by this. But no, I definitely was. And looking at the fans just in general, kind of going wild, it was nice in a way that it wasn't a club that's used to winning trophies that were winning it. Just I, I think it kind of made it that extra bit special. Uh, from that perspective and sure look Chelsea might still win a trophy yet this season anyway this pod it is a quick one and we're going to be kicking off with the correspondence section and we're going to touch on the summer plans that Tom mentioned with that question indeed we're also going to have the usual listener questions but first up we're going to start with the game reviews and market forces we'll also do a mini league update because it's been a bit of what time since we did one cool Uh, I think it's you actually uh, first for the game reviews Yes, it is. Uh, 50 points, which would usually not be good. That's 50 points net after taking a minus eight. So 58 points was what my team in total scored. I took a minus eight in a bid to try and get my squad to having a full 11 because I would otherwise have had or I expected to only have eight. As it turned out, Diogo Jota still didn't play the troll that he is. So I still only ended up with 10 players as it turned out. And the hits themselves were a fail. So I had Sanchez and Gold from Brighton. He obviously lost his clean sheet quite late, which was annoying. I brought in Michael Keane as one of my transfers. I brought him in for Luke Shaw. That didn't go too well. I had Demi Mitchell, thankfully. And I never thought that he was going to be the player that would save my game week. But indeed, he was with his goal assist, 13 points. Like, absolutely ridiculous haul from a player that's, what, 3.8? Demi is the Man United player. Sorry, Tom. I'll just go back to the start of it. Tyreek, fucking hell. Right. 
So in, in goals, I had Sanchez and his two points were quite frustrating in that he only obviously lost his clean sheet quite late. Uh, ahead of him, I had Michael Keane who came in on my with one of the hits. That was really disappointing. I thought Everton would keep a clean sheet against Sheffield United, but no, didn't manage it, which was very annoying. Unusual in that Tyreek Mitchell was the hero of my game week. Goal assist, 13 points is a ridiculous return from that's less than four million. I only brought him in again a few weeks ago to facilitate other moves. So nice that that paid back. But honestly, I don't feel like I really deserved it in that sense. I wasn't like some sort of diehard or had much faith in him. And it, unbi- completely unbiased. I did own Mitchell as well, <laughs> but you completely deserve that. I mean, you know, three point eight million. You just thought, you know what, this guy he's got a record of two assists and zero goals in his career, but he's due. He's due at the explosion, and so it proved. It's a brilliant maneuver by all concerns. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Well, we'll take it, Tom. Thank you. Uh, I'll take every bit of compliments I can get in this game week. Um, Trent Alexander-Arnold had an assist, which was handy. An assist probably more noteworthy for who had assisted in Allison, but nonetheless, I was happy to pick up those few points from him along the way. I did captain Salah, thankfully. Sound disappointed, but at least got a clean sheet points. Uh, Sam Maxima was one of my transfers in as part of the hits. Annoying in that he's managed to get two points in a game that Newcastle scored three times in. But at the and you know he wasn't looking bad in that game either. But at the same time, I hadn't expected much from San Maximan San Maximan against Man City. I just happened to have five point one to spend. He was exactly five point one. His underlying stats have been good, and he's just he's always good to watch in general. So I was happy to bring him in. I suppose I probably should have brought in Willock, who was four point seven, obviously on pens and all this sort of thing. But I just wanted the player I was more interested in watching, to be honest, and whatever. No regrets, etc. I also had Keenan Davis, one point. Harry Kane, everyone has him, eight points. And also Danny Ings, who came in on as one of my hits, and he got absolutely nothing. And indeed, didn't even make the 60 minutes, which was yeah. very frustrating. But it seems like an awful lot of the mid price strikers were quite disappointing this week. So at least there was that very small consolation there. Overall, I've managed to get like a 1% green arrow to like 28k in the world from 29k or something like that. It's it's fine, but yeah, I, I guess I'm trying to catch the top 10k. I'm still about, you know, 40 points off it. It's out of reach at this point, realistically, unless I do something really dangerous and I don't yeah. want to completely blow it either. Uh, it would be so easy to fall to, you know, 50k from where I am and that would be really annoying too. Yeah, you don't, you don't want to um, yeah, overreach, I suppose. You know, I did all right. Uh, 62 minus 8 to 54 net. I'm quite pleased with that, considering I was on zero from free uh, net this morning. Um, so yeah, 10% green arrow up to 200k. Um, another last-minute return from Trent, who I captained in the end on Allison's goal. Um, another last-minute return for me, which was, which was great. Um, yeah, as you said, Goalkeeper scoring, getting assists for that is just fantastic, really. I think he's, he's nabbed the bonus, so it's quite nice. Um, Took a minus eight too. Um, as Anthony mentioned earlier on, the mid-price strikers. Wow, I mean, I wasted so much time this last week thinking about Calvert Lewin versus Ings versus Antonio versus Bamford. You know, I've kind of you know, they they all kind of at one point uh, were like, oh yeah, I'll probably go with this guy. I'm leaning this guy, and I put uh, Calvert Lewin in the end actually. Um, I so my minus eight was taking out uh, Ikenacho, Maguire, and Bruno. And I got in Calvert Lewin, Dallas, and I got Pep with Mares. Um, so he didn't show, uh, which is really annoying. I've got a question on that in a minute. Uh, Dallas got a clean sheet, and Calvert Lewin got two points against Sheffield United, the bottom team. Uh, so my hit washed its face. Yeah, because obviously the players I removed did nothing. So zero. I tried to get an 11 out, um, but only had nine after Mares didn't show up. Well, Pep didn't let Mares show up, and no Jota, too. That surprise foot injury. Um, but the big story, same for me, same for Anthony, is uh, that, that Mitchell uh, thirteen pointer, which is total skill, um, as you have heard, uh, one of those that just uh, randomly propelled my score up this week out of nowhere. Very much as we said before we came on, a bit like getting away with murder, really, after kind of a pretty poor score elsewhere. And Benteke as well, three goals and three for the big Belgian. I, I just, you know, beyond my wildest dreams, really, uh, uh, picking him up as a five point five. Um, I was going to be benching him this week. I'm not sure I can versus Arsenal. I think I'm going to going to play him and and probably leave Jota rotting on the bench for a little while. Right. And uh, how's everyone else doing, Anthony? Um, what's the mini league looking like after all this? Mini league is actually much changed since we last looked at it, and even this week has seen an awful lot of movement in it. Uh, starting off, I guess, at joint tenth, where we have two people. There is Harry Jones with Neville's where Neville wears Prada, and Max Fideli with his team named Max appropriately. They both have two thousand four hundred and sixty-two points. Then we have joint eighth as well. We have Gunnar Lemmerman, 
and Abdul Hassan with 2466 each. Seventh up from 11th is Jamie Timothy's Asselexiao. He has 2,468 points. Then we have a team, and unfortunately, I'm not going to even try to butcher the name because the uh, name is in Cyrillic. But yeah, that listener, uh, you're going well with 2,473 points. They had 62 minus four this week. Congrats. Uh, yeah, uh, up from tenth uh, to or to fifth, we have Hazik Zahin with his team Blauak Siritz, and he has two thousand four hundred and seventy four points uh, with uh, which is pretty good going. Up from eighth to fourth is Graham Sessoms with his ten with his HK ten for Golden Boot, uh, which I think is still a pretty good bet with a few game weeks to go. Two thousand four hundred and seventy six points. Up, down to third from second, Ryan Hobbs with Hobbsy's Heroes, 2,477 points, so just a little bit ahead of Graham. Six points ahead of him is Sean Dunlop, 2,483 points with his team Chaos Ball. He's up from third. In first and holding on to first, indeed, is Tim Franson with his team for Sammy. He has 2,484 points in total. He had 54 points this week. He did not take a hit. All of the top 10, um, which is actually 11 because we have a joint 10th, Captain Salah. The Tim's team itself, by the way, he has Martinez, yeah. uh, he has Dina, he has Sufal, Alioski's 10-pointer, we have Son, Sterling, Salah captaincy indeed, as I said, Lingard too, he also had the Jota blank like the rest of us, Welbeck's 9-pointer, and he had Richardson's 2-pointer disappointment as well. Yeah, I was going to say that um, I like the, the fact that Tim's gone for a few differentials in his team to try to push himself forward. Oyndham Richardson over Calvert-Lewin, Welbeck over, well, any of the mid-range strikers, and Alioski over Dallas. That's some ballsy stuff, so I'm glad that those have come through for him to some extent. And the market forces, it's, uh, well, obviously literally just finished the um, the Everton disappointment, and it's looking like a Mason Greenwood and Ferran Torres are the two people in the ascendancy. That is obviously because Diogo Jota um, is being sold by many managers. In fact, as well, and Mr. Harrison... Uh, at Leeds after a couple of uh, very, very sumptuous assists, actually, um, and a goal, 16 points versus Burnley. Um, those three, Greenwood, Torres and Harrison, make up the top three. Um, and Bruno Fernandes are uh, being probably bought back by quite a few people, Anthony, as well. 26,000 people have bought him so far. Yeah, absolutely. Like, as you say, most of the activity is really happening with the midfielders in terms of transfers in. Like, the top most transferred in forward is uh, Mikel Antonio, and he doesn't even have half as many transfers in as Greenwood. And... Trent Alexander-Arnold and uh, Dallas are both quite popular in terms of transfers in, but they wouldn't even be within the top five for midfielders in terms of transfers in. So it just tells you how much activity there is. Just looking at the transfers out rather briefly, Jota is, as Tom said, a mile ahead, uh, followed by kind of a, a mishmash of players with Diaz, Lingard and Watkins, all with about 30,000, 24,000 uh, transfers out. So nowhere near as much activity except for people selling Jota. Yeah, I'm sure there may be some changes as well because obviously we've just finished and we've got the next deadline giving us a quick turnaround this fairly soon, isn't it? Yeah, Tuesday, uh, half past four, Christ. Um, so yeah, um, I'm touring a lot then. In okay, London, time. Dublin and Casablanca, indeed. Yeah, don't forget Casablanca listeners. We're there for you, boys and ladies. And however else you identify, I need to say, in the 2021 spells, of course. Anthony, uh, the next thing is a correspondence. And this week it was an unusual method, wasn't it? It was a DM. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Paul Pryor decided to DM me on Twitter, which is, of course, a welcome way to get the correspondence in. We take correspondence in any way, shape or form, usually to who got the assist at gmail.com. But if you want to DM me or the who got the assist account that Tom is running, either of those will work too. But probably me is probably the best way to do it. Anyway, Paul's message went thus. Hi, Anthony. Just a thought for the correspondence section. I must admit that I will not have FPL players in my team from teams that I dislike. In my case, Man United. I don't like the idea of wanting slash supporting Man U to do well for any reason, including FPL. I'm not sure if I'm alone in this or whether this is a practice that is widespread amongst managers. Given the data we have, I'm not sure whether it's possible to discern whether, for example, Tottenham fans are less likely to have Arsenal players in their teams. However, we do know from manager profiles who their supported team is. And if you're in a mini league with someone who's unlikely to have players from a particular team because of rivalry, then that knowledge might give you an edge in being able to pick differential players to your mini league opponent. Love the pod. Thanks. So, Tom, what are your thoughts, kind of, I guess, in the general realm of people uh, picking their teams based on fandom and avoiding players based on fandom? Something we've kind of touched upon a few times in the pod, but never really got into. Is it something we will look at soon, Tom? 
not what an assist that is. Um, but yeah, we're definitely, um, so over the course of the summer, uh, we, we're going to be doing three sort of uh, fairly lengthy pods, or at least long form pods. We won't be boring you to tears, don't worry. We'll be riveting stuff at really interesting topics. And one of the, these kind of free pods, and we trips it because you can't just do one, you can't just do two, you've got to do three, the rule of three. We'll be on fandom and FPL. We're doing that with a couple of special guests um, over the course of the summer really it depends on the team that you're avoiding i suppose but depending on your allegiance like a big everton fan ben crabtree of course at one fpl without any liverpool in 2016-17 actually refused to sign them he's a big blue but back then of course they were utter toss and um, but since then it's punished him hard of course not having the likes of salah trent in his team i feel like in general, um, if you're serious about FPL, serious in inverted commas as well, uh, that you need to be able to disentangle the game of fantasy football from your allegiance as a fan. I tend to view the players as minions in an RPG and try to see them dispassionately as sort of game pieces rather than manifestations of the actual players. Like, I don't like it when people get frothing at, a mouth, at the mouth about a player and say they hate the player, you know. He, he's always boned me. <laughs> One big learning of the last two, three years is actually to relinquish this distrust or dislike of individuals. Uh, and you end up just getting in your own way, don't you? So you know, Danny Ings last year, a salient example, his breakthrough season. And I was thinking, he's injury risk. I'm, I'm not signing this guy. I lost probably about 70 or 80 points to that. And this year, Bamford, you know, Nick and I have been laughing at Paddy B, uh, doing a Paddy for the last couple of years, uh, thinking about his time at Palace and Burnley. Um, but, you know, that cost us this year because we didn't really see him as like a proper FPL sort of consideration until kind of two or three weeks down the line when everybody who was dispassionate or at least didn't have those preconceptions jumped on. And uh, this is a bit like the payable science thing of sunk cost fallacy, which I've spoken about a few times. This idea is that I've I've said I'm not going to buy a player for such and such a reason. I don't want to go back on that and kind of cave in. I've, I've sunk that cost and I, I don't want to kind of revert now. And there's definitely a sense of not wanting to be a hypocrite too. Guess what? One of the summer specials also on behavioral science, guys. Shock horror. Um, but I suppose overall as well, uh, the whole fandom thing, um, which is why it'd be really interesting to a pod with the people we've had, we've got coming on, is the fact that it's a world I don't really speak to. Like I'm an Arsenal fan, but it definitely can't be said, as you can probably tell, that I'm a diehard, you know, fight in the club's corner, down the Emirates every other week kind of fan. And I'm sure like if I'm trying to empathise with somebody who's a season ticket holder, like I see that Paul's a Leicester season ticket holder, I'm sure if you come from that sort of background, it's, it's such a different situation to me and it's less easy to be able to look at these things dispassionately. And, you know, in terms of the other kind of part of Paul's questions about min league advantages, yeah, definitely always exploit those if you can. I'm sure there's nothing to be gained by being the noble person in the min league kind of context. But yeah, overall, um, fandom and FPL is a really interesting topic, actually. And it's definitely something we'll talk about more in the summer. Yeah, so I think I'd be very much of the same idea as you, Tom, and that for me anyway, I am a Man United fan, as people will be aware, but I'm also not really that died on the wall. I guess they're a club that I grew up liking, but at the same time, and I've spoken about this before, they're not a team that I have any sort of geographic link to. I don't have a particularly strong family link to the club either. It's just, for whatever reason, the team I landed upon when I was quite young, probably mostly because Roy Keane was there and I come from the same part of Ireland as Roy Keane. Uh, but beyond that, I, you know, I, I kind of grew up liking these players that played for the side. I find now that I particularly like the Man United team under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer because I watched Ole Gunnar Solskjaer play myself. And so there's kind of that extra attachment to the club. I did actually find that there was a small period when I think it was going kind to of be in the Van Hal slash Mourinho phase when United actually had nobody left from what would have been you know, Ferguson's classic team. And I found it kind of hard. Like Michael Carrick's retirement had a disproportionate effect on how much I enjoyed watching Man United play uh, because it was just the last link to what I saw as kind of the, the real classic team, I guess, the team that won the Champions League. But with that in mind anyway, overall, I do think that very few FPL managers probably pick with club allegiance in mind too strongly. They might overestimate players from their own club too much. Like I definitely have a friend in real life who probably overestimates Arsenal players too much because he's an Arsenal fan and sees them play regularly. So he'd often Wait, have what, two what Arsenal. Wait, what is he watching? Yeah, I'm not sure what he's, is, what is he's he, watching. Is he drunk? Is he stoned when he's watching Arsenal? Does he think the other team is Arsenal? Like, what, What's wrong with him? This guy Maybe needs he, some help, he, Anthony. He needs, he yeah, needs yeah. to call, call the guarder over to his house and get, <laughs> get him taken off somewhere. That is... That is a shock. I'm yeah, really so surprised by that. Yeah, he's, he'd often be sending me on teams on WhatsApp and he'd have like Pepe and let's say Smith Rowe. And I'm like, okay, 
interesting or Lacazette and Aubameyang you'll allow Smith Rowe can't be after last week yeah you'll allow Smith Rowe because at least he was a budget enabler if anything but like when you have the likes of Pepe or Lacazette most times in the season and you're kind of thinking okay I'm not sure that's a good idea but of course as Tom said if you can use another player's fandom to your advantage yeah absolutely make the most of it and I think that that there is definitely scope to use it against certain people but you probably would need to know them quite well in order to be able to use that to your advantage. Anyway, uh, thanks so much, Paul, for sending in that correspondence and congratulations as a Leicester fan on seeing them win the FA Cup. That must have been a right thrill for you and indeed a uh, first for Leicester in their history. So rounds off a pretty class decade, really, uh, as a Leicester fan. So fair play to you. Correspondence, if you want to get it in, who got the assist at gmail.com. Yeah, no, um, very, very, uh, very interesting question and a nice way of giving some insight into what we're looking to do in the summer. Right, let's move on to listener questions. Probably all pretty predictable this week. Uh, but nonetheless, let's plough through them. Uh, the first one is Jota the Rotter. Um, so lots of questions on this. Let's pick out a couple. Um, at Beck Maniac Amar um, asks, you know, Jota replacements, is Greenwood the best of the bunch? And similarly, James Keatley asks if Harrison or Rafinha are blipping on our radars. I guess we all kind of know where it is, Anthony. But I mean, would you be saying that Greenwood's the one to be bringing in? I've seen that there's a few people suspecting he might not play versus Fulham. Trying to decide whether or not he'll play against Fulham is going to be too hard. And I think that if you do look at the underlying data, it looks good for Mason Greenwood. Like there's no denying that uh, in terms of XG, for example. yeah, Yeah, in terms of XG, for example, um, XG from uh, open play especially there's almost nobody at that price point now that Jota is injured that can really compete with him I do think kind of looking beyond things you've already named who had good fixtures like I don't feel at West Ham you're looking at potentially Jesse Lingard I feel like that train seems to have left watch him score now against either West Brom or Southampton but I feel like that train has left at Leeds there is definitely value there and uh, one of our questioners Keatley asked uh, kind of alluded to that but at the same time, trying to pick, pick, pick your Leeds player is quite difficult uh, in that Rafinha is probably the one who the stats would say you should pick. Harrison has obviously had a particularly good weekend. And indeed, I was looking at his stats over the season now, and he's actually almost at double figures for goals and assists. He's just short of it in both columns, which shows you kind of how versatile he is. But it's really been under the radar all year. Like He's very much been the fourth or fifth Leeds asset that you might have been interested in FPL all year. But it just tells you how good Leeds are, that that's where their fourth or fifth asset is. Like That's the sort of thing you'd expect from someone like Man City's fourth or fifth asset, uh, those sorts of returns. Absolutely. Which is quite interesting. And so like both Rafinha and indeed Harrison would be good gambles. I think if I was looking in a more differential sense and the fact that Liverpool won today kind of maybe adds to that, if anything... The two of maybe a Chelsea attacker is someone who I'd be looking at. And I know that's a bit of a stretch in terms of the budget. Uh, Tom is crying out. So oh. I suspect he has better notes prepared on them than me. But looking at the two kind of main ones you'd be talking about, they're Kai Havertz and Christian Pulisic. Personally, I would say I would prefer Havertz of the two of them. Uh, Pulisic, Nick has had him for a few weeks and been quite disappointed by him. Havertz has actually played less minutes than him for a variety of Champions League related, mostly reasons, and still at the same time ended up with uh, better stats basically underlying, especially if you break it down per start or per minute basis. He's also pretty much playing as a forward when he's on the pitch, whereas Pulisic kind of tends to be moved to the side. All of these things kind of feed into him being a particularly good pick. Now, I do know that Leicester or that Chelsea have Leicester at home and Villa away. Villa look like whipping boys um, on, you know, the basic, very kind of the last few weeks as evidence. So that's not too bad. And then when you look at that other fixture against Leicester, that's a big game fixture. And I guess at the end of the day, you'd only be hoping for one goal from Havertz anyway, maybe an assist or something. And he feels like he could be well set to give you that. When you start to look at the real differentials beyond that, let's say kind of players who are coming from teams like Newcastle, like Adam Pritchard's been giving me grief all weekend about Joe Willock Anthony. We need to mention him here. I mean, you're clearly buying him in, swapping ASM for him, aren't you? No, I'm going to stick with my uh, Sam Maximum pick. But Sacred. yeah, Willock, Willock wouldn't be a bad pick to have, in fairness. But that's the thing with Newcastle, and this is part of the reason why I was happy to bring Sam Maximum in with. Uh, Sheffield United at home and Fulham away like yeah. those are as fixtures go quite good and indeed when you're managed by April Management of the Month Steve Bruce <laughs> you know the sky is the limit I like your ASM pick actually I, I like the fact that they've got the two relegated teams last and um, 
Oh, we're talking about we're talking about strikers in a little bit, but wow, I wish Callum Wilson was fit. Uh, but Willock, yeah, seven for XG over the last six. I mean, oh, well, he's in the form of his life, isn't he? So who knows? Um, I mean, going back to a few players, you mentioned Greenwoods. I mean, you've got to be looking at that if you don't own him. There are those suspicions I mentioned earlier that he might not play. You know, maybe uh, maybe Ollie's going to you know do some sort of um, rotation with the UEL in mind. But if you don't indulge in that. He's, he's had the most shots on target um, amongst midfielders under 8.5. And he's also third for XG amongst midfielders under 8.5. Um, so he'd probably be the one with the nicest pitch this week in Fulham. Um, but Leeds, um, as you said, Harrison and Rafinha. Uh, Harrison, 150 points. Yeah, as you said, we, we've just not really looked at him this year because it's always been Rafinha first, hasn't it? Um, but he's third for XA and third for chance to create over the last six amongst midfielders under 8.5. Um, plus he's created... Plus, he's created the second most big chances. Uh, Rafinha's been injured for a little while, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but yeah, I, I had Kai Havertz as my kind of pump pick as well, Anthony. Um, I know it's Leicester, um, but you know, there's always that kind of the nebulous, oh, they're going to be motivated to try to make something happen there. I don't think Werner covered himself in glory, did he up front in the FA Cup final? Uh, so maybe Havertz will be playing that. He's second for XG over the last six and hasn't played that many games as well um, amongst players less than 8.5 million. So that's really interesting. And just had the most big chances with seven. Um, so maybe a player to consider if you do want to go differential, um, certainly something that I would be looking at if I wasn't playing Benteke this week because, well, why not? He's a goal machine. Um, yeah. So, yeah, there are quite a few particularly good options there amongst the midfielders. And and just when you were talking about some of those Newcastle players with those really, really good fixtures earlier, it is worth keeping in mind that since the clocks went forward in March, Newcastle are the top scoring team in the Premier League. So there's some seriously... Uh, Good picks there if you believe in the magic that is the Steve Bruce machine, April manager of the month, Steve Bruce. And it was uh, Duncan Alexander had that tweet and that stat. So a good one. Yeah, circadian rhythms are favouring Newcastle, that's for sure. All right, next question then. It's striker trouble. So at the cheap end of the bracket, uh, Jimmy DeClara asks for our thoughts on Rodrigo at this end, at this stage of the season following his well-taken brace versus Burnley. Well, it was a well-taken brace, wasn't it? That, that, that little dink over the goalkeeper. Oh, that was such like a pro-evo goal. Not even a FIFA goal. That was a pro-evo goal. Absolutely bloody love that. And at the other end of the spectrum, James at JJG162 asked if it's too late to grab Kane if you don't own him already. Now, I guess Strikes, I said earlier on, was such a vexed subject this week. I saw everybody just being like, well, I've got Nacho, he's not playing. So, you know, there's all these players flying around, DCL, Antonio, Wood, Bamford, um, and uh, Ings too. Yeah, and they all blanked. Um, but Benteke didn't. Legend. Unfortunately, I always need to fill up another another spot because I didn't know Jota was injured. Uh, so I bought uh, Dominic Avalu and him thinking, well, you know what? They're playing the worst team in the league. That worked out very, very well. Um, mm, Rodrigo. So he's not noted as a prolific goal scorer, is he, Anthony? Uh, 38 goals and 139 starts with Valencia. Maybe that was the style of football. And you saw with the finishes, he's got the quality. 5.7 and 2 percent owns you know he might be in the frame to nab a start over Bamford next game but it's so hard to tell especially amongst the kind of famously non-rotating Bielsa if that's going to happen like if there's a manager other than Pep who if a player scores two goals I mean he won't play the next game probably is Bielsa I think just in general we said this last couple of weeks actually the forward market at this point is simply remarkable and maybe there's a link into the Kane point in a second like my man Benteke has low-key been the pick du jour. Like, three goals and three. Ridiculous. Like, he had absolutely nothing to commend him to anybody. I shoved him in because he had a good double game week. And lo and behold, there we go. Accident rather than design, I'm afraid, guys. Um, but yeah, it's um, it definitely is uh, one where with Rodrigo, you're basically hoping that Bielsa does kind of think well, taking Bamford out of the firing line, we're going to find a way to kind of work them in. Um, it could be a very kind of a very nice punt, I suppose. And Leeds' last two are very good. Southampton away and West Brom at home. So, I mean, Anthony, do you think there's any mileage in, uh, in Rodrigo? I think kind of on paper, he looks like a particularly good pick, I guess, off one fixture. The problem is, is that minutes-wise, I don't think you could be so confident that he'll start. He hasn't been starting for Leeds in the last few weeks and months, in fact because he's been coming back from muscle strain and they're being quite careful with him. And Bielsa actually post-match was very complimentary about Rodrigo, but at the same time, I don't think was 
saying a huge amount that would give you hope that he would be starting next. I guess there's nothing to say he wasn't either. I'll just give you those quotes directly. Rodrigo is a player at a very high level. He's one of the strikers for the Spanish national team and they're a powerhouse. He's a player, like I've said before, that it takes a while to get to his full form. When he finds his full form, he is a player that is very unbalancing. I think these 50 minutes that Rodrigo has played against Tottenham and today, uh, that they were at a very good level and are preferable to play a lot of these minutes when you're not at your best. So I think the game against Tottenham and the game today, I think we saw the version of Rodrigo close to what he's capable of. It's a bit cryptic and it's a bit jumbled in how he's put it, but I'm not necessarily thinking that I would be too confident that he'd start. And so much as he'd be a tempting choice, unless you really want to roll the dice on a striker who isn't prolific, as Tom said, I'm not sure I'd do it. I just feel like, especially at Leeds, I think I'd rather get the likes of Harrison and Rafinha, and even if you wanted to avoid Bamford, than going for Rodrigo. Yeah, I mean, the disrespect of that guy Welbs as well. I mean, two goals and assists in the last three games, Anthony. Another player who people could be thinking about. I just want to get that within just for the hell of it. I probably wouldn't be expecting you to buy that guy Welbs. Um, I guess on the other end of the spectrum, though, Harry Kane um, had, uh, well, he didn't play against Southampton, of course, but two blanks in a row um, coming off that injury, a small injury that was, and uh, came back with a goal today against Wolves and should have got more um, to hit the post and uh, also had a, a decent effort to get off the line. Is it too late for Kane, uh, James asked? Uh, in a world where the forward market has been simply, you know, inconsistent, um, Harry's been, well, the last few games actually not been consistent, but over the course of the season he has been. Is it the case, Anthony, that you know, it's too late for Kane? I think that maybe Villa being the next opponent is probably the answer there, isn't there? Yeah, I think it's that Villa game. It seems like he's going to be a very popular captaincy pick for that game. And so even that alone would mean that he wouldn't necessarily be a bad player to pick up. But I think just data-wise, stats-wise, form-wise, etc., I think he's worth picking up. Like I, I don't think there's ever really a point that it's too late to get him in. And I'm just going to presume whatever sort of formation and strike force you're running, you probably have a way to get Kane into your team somehow or another. Uh, and I think at that point, I think you should probably get him. I, there's nothing against having him for that Villa game. Uh, definitely. No, I mean, Villa did look at six and seven today. I mean, Crystal Palace had 23 shots against them. Crystal Palace. Um uh, as you say, as you kind of infer, Anthony, a player of that quality, I guess you say no, it's never too late. And a little kind of quirk as well is that he's got Leicester on the final day. And I know Leicester, obviously, you know, a different proposition, but Johnny Evans, iffy. And he's got this mad record against Leicester, a bit like Lukaku did against West Ham, if you remember that. Um, he scored 16 goals against them in his career, five more goals in the second place team. So one of those players who it's never too late on, you should never shut the door on. Um, I've got one sneaky pick as well to run past your Anthony, uh, Cavani uh, versus Fulham. Um, so five, he's got the fifth most points of strikes over the last six. He's third for big chances and eight for XG. It's the first game back at Old Trafford in front of fans as well. And he was, I, I don't know how much we believe this and how cynical we're going to be, but he was waxing lyrical about the fact that, you know, the fans really G him up. He's got a great connection with the fans over social media and he can't wait to play in front of them. I mean, could he be one of those who's quite interesting, especially if we think, well, game week 38 might not play that in preparation for the Europa League. So, you know, that home game at Old Trafford, could he be one you could just throw in, especially if you, you know, in one week punt sort of territory? I hadn't thought about Cavani actually, Tom, but yeah, I actually do think so. Purely from the perspective of, I think all I will, this, this is very nebulous stuff, but this game means absolutely nothing to United except for a useful thing to keep them kind of ticking over ahead of the Europa League final. Mm. And with that in mind, I feel like, you know, going out to kind of pummel Fulham at home in a game that means nothing is like a very kind of all thing to do to just try and entertain the fans. He is... Uh, unlike most managers, quite linked to the club in a way yeah. that's kind of hard to forget. He's and quite, he's quite like, predictable in the way that we want a manager to be. Like if yes. it was Pep, he'd be playing the B team and just like, well, key fans. I'm well, going to be... do what I'm going to do. What I need to do. Whereas Ollie will actually go out to placate them and make them happy, which is uh, just very like you know, it, it is it's nice. It's predictable. Yes, though I suppose the one thing about the Etihad and Pep is that it might still be empty even when fans are allowed back in. Oh, how to deal with a burn leaflet. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, but no, I think, I, sorry, I had to do it. But yeah, I think, look, it's been a good few days as well since United last played a game. So the fact that Cavani played 90 against Liverpool wouldn't be something that you would be too concerned about. So with that in mind, yeah, I actually do think he's a good pick. He's like, it, there's definitely risk to it um, because it's just kind of hard to know what's happening with that kind of rotating cast. 
of United players. It's kind of it seems like no matter what, there's somebody going to get benched there, and you don't quite know exactly who it could be. But at the same time, I'd be optimistic for him. Cool. So it sounds like, uh, well, uh, Rodrigo, mm, Kane, never too late. Right. Defensive hits and defensive other things. Benny Blanco asked if taking hits for defenders is a waste or should we be focusing just on attackers? So in his team, he's got Trent, Dallas and Target as his only fit players at the back. And Nick Schneider as well gets in touch to ask if a 5-3-2 is just madness, the fun two games. So I guess defensive wise, um, Anthony, what do you reckon is going on here? I mean, would you do you have any kind of interest in any defenders at the moment? Like, I guess it's very dependent on what your team's looking like. Um, but is any hit for a defender a waste, especially in a situation where you've only got kind of three fit defenders and one's a bit iffy? I think it's going to be pushing it to take a hit to get in a defender at this stage. But I do think there is kind of roots to have value there, especially actually now that I presume one of the transfers that Benny might be doing is to get rid of Jota, which means he might have an extra Liverpool slot opening up. And I think doubling up on that Liverpool defence with their fixtures again, with Burnley away and Crystal Palace at home could be a particularly good option. And I'd actually be quite jealous of having that option there. Outside of that with defenders, it's it's I guess it's a little bit hard. It's the teams we were talking about last week, um, Leeds were one of those, and Dallas is obviously the pick there, but there is the likes of Alioski and Llorente who could provide some value there with a little bit more rotation risk than Dallas. West Ham actually have the best fixtures, and if you look at stuff like chances created, Sufal is you know tipping away nicely in terms of those stats. For example, in terms of chances created in the last six, he is fifth, which is solid going. And so I think he will be one of those defenders you would be considering. If you just look more in general, you could get some value with Brighton, even though their fixtures aren't particularly good. You know, Their underlying stats are at least always promising. But uh, I, I feel you'd be probably better off chasing the fixtures with someone like West Ham than going for something like a Brighton player. But I do feel the Liverpool option is the superior one. I'd love to tell you City, but you just don't know who's going to play. Yeah, you've got no idea, have you? I was remembering when Cancelo um, did his thing this week and there was that weird time in the season, wasn't there, when he was top-owned defender. I think it was top-owned about 25% or something, kind of middling, wasn't it? It was no sort of blow away trend ownership it's very very low anyway um, I don't know uh, basically <laughs> in Benny's case I think if he's removing as you said Anthony non-playing players or we're assuming Villa will be rolled by Spurs I didn't include in the question actually in the uh, in, in the guide that uh, Benny had put a vom emoji uh, emoji uh, next to target uh, there so I guess you can apply the minus two rule and say well I'm moving player who isn't playing anyway so all good um I like what you're saying about Robertson, actually, Anthony, if I'm doing that. I, I was looking up. I like what you're saying about adding a, sec, a third Liverpool player in or a second defender in there, Anthony. Actually, I was considering Robertson, um, but I'm not too sure about that, actually, just because, well, I mean, I'm in the markets, basically, for a defender to replace Veltman. I've also got Jota. I'm not really looking to buy anyone who's going to play this week in the midfield, um, which may think maybe may, may, may makes me think I just want to do a straight swap rather than swapping in somebody else. Maybe Nat Phillips, the lad who is Nat Phillips. Um, but I've got Castagna this week and I've got Mitchell um, and I don't really want to play with them. So I'm actually looking at the defenders, probably not taking a hit, but I'm looking at the defenders um, kind of vaguely to help Benny, I suppose. And I was looking at Luke Shaw and Luke Shaw, Anthony, uh, just to digress into the this kind of weird part of the pod and go into the weeds a little bit. I mean, if I've been very frustrated by Jota, shore owners must have no hair left. It must be all torn out. The guy's managed just 13 points over the last six, despite supplying the second most chance creative of all players with 19. He's devil with some just behind Trent. And the other thing that I noticed about Shaw though, which is a bit weird, is that he's creating all these chances, right? But his XA is appalling, absolutely appalling. 0.76, despite all those chances created, and not a single big chance. So I'd look at him season long as well to see what was happening. And he's actually created the joint most chances with Trent. But he's only created half the big chances. And he's created a third less XA than Trent season long. Like, weird. Just very weird. Whereas Juan Bissaka, on the other hand, he's the defender's defender, the spider, but he's an assist machine. Two assists over the last six with 0.29 XA. So there you go. I mean, Anthony, a player who's creating lots of chances, but the XA is spectacularly low. Like, what is Shaw doing? Is he just playing sideways balls into long shots? Like, 
how is that even possible? Because I was thinking about buying Shaw for Fulham and people are going on about his great stats, but the XA and chance to create aren't, aren't measuring up. So what from United perspective could be going on there? Is it just that he's creating bad chances? Shaw has been a very frustrating player to own and I've even owned him for quite a few weeks at this stage. And whilst he kind of was returning points as I wanted to for a while from the clean sheets, basically, he wasn't obviously delivering the assists that we might have expected from those underlying stats. And I think I was definitely amongst many who was kind of guilty of being swung by those underlying statistics, but maybe probably should have given them further thought. And I think really the secret there uh, with that is just the fact that he is taking corners for United and those are really whacking his uh, his chance creation stats out of whack. So, for example, he has in the last 11 game weeks taken 40 corners. He has in, in that, you know, those have helped basically supplement his 27 chances created in total. And those have yeah. brought no assists. And that's pretty much the secret is that he's just whacking the ball into the box, but nothing's actually coming off them. Whereas a player like Juan Basaka would not be trusted with corners. And he tends to be very close when he gives his passes. I know he does cross in a bit, but more often than not, he's kind of he's more of a kind of a, a low ball player than he is a hopeful crosser. Yeah. So when he when he's actually ta- making a cross, uh, there's actually a good chance that it might uh, turn itself into a big chance. And so his his underlying stats aren't particularly bad in chance creation this season, even though previous years, especially when he was at Crystal Palace and in his first season at United, he wouldn't have been noted for that whatsoever. Yeah, I, mean, I think that that's, um, yeah, I'm glad that you've swallowed up my assist there. Very, very good. Um, I think that, yeah, Shaw has been one of those players that throughout the course of the season, people have been rabbiting on about his stats, but as for our little role play there, which you've only probably realised now, um, uh, yeah, he has been basically, he's basically gotten there through having that hegemony of uh, set plays. Um, so I, I, that makes complete sense. And that tends to be why if a player is creating a lot of chances and their XA is low, that tends to be what kind of explains the difference there. Cresswell as well at West Ham could be another, another great example of that. Um, uh, so over the last six, he's actually created um, uh, fifth most ch- uh, chances um, with, Ch- with Shufal actually himself. Um, um, but West Ham have got two really good games. So I was thinking of taking the punt on Cresswell actually. Um, but it's the same sort of thing as Luke Shaw, where I think that he's kind of he's so reliant on um, on those set pieces. The difference is, I guess, is that Cresswell has a few players to aim at. He's got obviously Tommy Suchek, the beanpole himself. And Craig Mike Dawson, another just ridiculous aerial threat. So uh, that maybe that would go some way to ex- explaining the assists and numbers for Cresswell and the points scored over the course of the season for Cresswell. Basically, that David Moyes has read the Sam Allardyce book of um, Pomo from set pieces. I would say that Cresswell is a better crosser from open play as well, and that just kind of feeds into it yeah, as yeah, well. Like, yeah, yes, he definitely does have the raw materials there when he's crossing it in, but I do think an awful lot of it as well boils down to the fact that he's getting quite a few from open play. Actually, a bit of a related tangent is the fact that there is very little data on chances created from open play in any of the big stats providers right now. Guys, it's an easy win. Please provide it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I, I think when I'm looking at who I'm going to be bringing in, Oh, yeah. Obviously, if you don't own Dallas, obvious pickup. Just, just buy him out of out of position. Goodness, just, just enjoy that for the last two games of the season before he goes off and becomes a midfielder next year, and you don't want him anymore because he's five point five or six, um, I, or a seven I, even. To be honest, no way. Come on, uh, the Cookstown Cafe is not going to be infiltrating the uh, FPL towers like that. Um, I guess, I mean, Anthony, if you were to pick out kind of one defender um, who isn't Dallas and isn't Trent. So who's who? Who would be the third choice sort of defender? Because I think most people do have TAA. Most people do have um, uh, Dallas at the moment. Who the kind of the, the number three uh, be uh, in your estimation at the moment? But I would actually say a second Liverpool defender would be my first choice uh, as a third option there. Robertson is obviously the obvious one, but there is some value alternatives there, as we know, which could be helpful. Kind of a bit of uncertainty on what's going on with the Quebec injury. So Phillips seems to be the more nailed of the two, I think I'd be kind of correct in saying. Yeah, there's great value in there. Yeah, Phillips was the one who seems to have been drafted in first uh, when there was a problem. And then they go to Reese Williams. So with that in mind, Phillips probably will make it to the end of the season in that position. But at the same time, obviously, Robertson is the one you'd want if you have the budget to reach to 7.1. Beyond that, I think I would go for one of the West Ham pair if I wasn't allowed to pick Dallas. Just There's a bit of uncertainty about the rest of the, the Leeds defenders, uh, which makes me just go, Sufal, 
is the one I'd go for. I just feel like he looks better from open play. I know that uh, Cresswell, Cresswell's stats have been good and I know his points have been good over the course of the season, but Soufal seems to be the one who just gets that forward that little bit more. I feel he provides much more of a goal threat as well, which helps. Yeah, I think he hit the post in the end of speak as well. Yeah, um, yeah, he's, uh, he's often in and around it. Oh, absolutely, I, I think he'll he's he or Cresswell are the ones that I'm I'm thinking of getting just because the final two are pretty good. So let's look to get one of those. Right, uh, next question: Never be pepped again. Uh, so Tony Dickinson asks if we should just give up on Man City altogether as Pep Guardiola, to my chagrin and a few other people's chagrin, sprang yet another nasty surprise this game week uh, in terms of his selection. And great friend of the pod, Rishi at FPR Raccoon, asks, "Will?" Pep play his Champions League 11 this game week. Who the hell knows? Anthony, do you know? No, I, uh, I had a good go at trying to reach Pep, uh, but I, I unfortunately didn't get through. Uh, I don't even have a number for him, so it wasn't a very big search, I must say. <laughs> so, I didn't tell you about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a very in-depth try. Yeah, I, I picked up my phone, I looked at it for a while, and then thought, no, still don't know the number. <sighs> Can't get any more info for the pod. What a pity. Like that, West Ham, or West Ham, yeah, not West Ham. That Man City team the other day was so confusing. When I when the you know the news came out a little bit early that Scott Carson was starting, I was like, "What?" I also couldn't believe he's only in his mid thirties. He's only thirty four or thirty five. I actually thought that he was like forty. Yeah, he's so he's was, younger than Fabianski. What? That's stunning. Yeah, yeah, I he just Scott Carson in my head kind of belongs to 2010. So it was quite surprising to find that he was as young as he was. But that's not really helpful for your question. The question that Rishi's asking about whether Pebble plays Champions League 11, like what even is the Champions League 11? Like I'm not even sure we could answer that particular question. So with that in mind, I'll go with no because I think it's the safest answer to Rishi's bit of that question. That said, are there options there? Yes, if they play. Uh, Brighton away, Everton at home. Those are both fixtures. Those are the types of games that City could easily run out 3-0 winners, no matter which team they actually play. If I was to pick one, uh, now look, okay, we did this last week and I was like, if, you, if I was to pick one, I'd have said Foden. But I think uh, previously I'd said if I was to pick one, I thought Torres was the one who oh, wouldn't. Yeah, 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 here yeah, it comes. Yeah, yeah, I bet you did, yeah. mate. Yeah. He's got the hat-trick, didn't he? So yeah, I bet you bet you loved Jack Harrison as well, didn't you? You always liked him, didn't you? <laughs> No, I was quite quiet about Harrison all year, but I I did mention Torres a few weeks ago, so I'm I'll try and hold on to it, even though I definitely was talking about Foden and Mares last week. But the one thing about Torres is that I would be surprised if he was in his Champions League final starting team. Of all the players, okay, as well as Gabriel Jesus, I wouldn't be like both of those players would be surprises to be in the Champions League team. So they seem like the types of players that could be used as fodder in the Premier League as bad as it sounds and so with that in mind I would point you towards one of those Tires obviously is finding his shooting boots and maybe thinks that he can play his way into that Champions League 11 which would be as big of a surprise for all of us I think as it would be for uh, Pep even at this point if he was to do that but you know a few more good performances and he could get there so Tares is the one I'm picking defense wise I think it's just too difficult to pick one I really do I mean I, uh, like Emma and Matt jumped the wave and at, at FPL Meta, it comes up the great work that We Rogue did in surveying the Blue Moon Forum. And there are all sorts of predictions this weekend. And to be honest, they didn't reflect the team that started. I don't think anyone could have predicted could have predicted the team that started, frankly. We've get we're getting into silly season, I believe. And I think it's one of those times where it's really difficult to predict what Pep's gonna do, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. However, um, maybe versus Brighton, I'll be trying to predict the team that started uh, versus Newcastle to predict the team that's going to start versus Brighton. It's always a mug's game, but hey, I'm a mug, given how the season's gone. And I'm a mug as well, given the fact that I've bought a City player, um, despite being done by Pep through that in the past. I've got one. So I might as well roll with the self-inflicted punch here and hope that Mares plays this game, because I thought, well, you know, he's, he's missed two games in a row. Surely you can't miss a third league game. He did. So surely you can't miss a fourth league game, Anthony. There's no way that's going to happen. I'm surely he was sitting on the bench just being like, Ferran Torres, anything you can do, I can do better. So three goals and assists is definitely on its way. I mean, he's one of those players, isn't he? He's got a really, really good. And the, the reason I bought him last week, he's got a really, really good points per 90. Um, and he's one of those players who is very, very rarely subbed on, as we saw, unfortunately, this week, where I would have taken one pointer, frankly. Um, 
So I'm hoping uh, that versus Brighton, it's going to happen. And yeah, I mean, people are saying, well, you know, Brighton and Newcastle, at the end of the day, City are much better than Brighton. So it doesn't really matter. It's neither here nor there. And I may well capture them as well. That's the arm man's buster. Yeah, I, I, I can see why you captain them. I can see why you do it. It's just, for a transfer in, it feels too difficult. But I do feel like when you're holding Mares, uh, I do think that, that Sounds like a good pick, but I, fantasy I, all over the place. It is, but at the same time, like it, Pep would want to have a certain amount of consistency in the minutes that his Champions League players will be playing. Does that mean that he would start this game or the next one? Mm, I think he's, it means that he starts one of them, given that he's had a few weeks out in the Premier League. And so, with that in mind and that idea of just trying to give players enough minutes that they're they're not they're not going to be not match fit but so that they're just kind of ticking over in terms yeah, of keep, game keep time them in rhythm that's one of the the key watch words that chris tan always says and i think that's definitely he's a big man city fan the captain guy at heartbeat that's, that's one of the things that is always said about them and i think it's definitely true yeah rhythm and pausa they're they're the two things with pep and uh how comes with playing and you can only show your pausa if you've had the rhythm of playing frequently so with that in mind look give it a go tom good luck with it i just don't know how it's going to go for you me neither, but you know what? I'm not protecting anything, uh, so off we go. And that really nicely brings us into the final question this week, which is Mark James, who says he's chasing many leagues, asks if there's any last-minute differential captains alongside the captain sensibles to help get to his unprecedented head-to-head league treble. Um, so he himself is obviously uh, well on the way uh, to, to, to getting the free peat. Um Captain wise, I think we, we, I've obviously kind of said that I might look at I might look at Captain Mares, either him or Greenwood this week. I don't own Bruno, um, so we'll be looking at Greenwood. If I did have space to own Cavani, I'm not going to sell the legend that is Benteke. Um, I'm not going to be moving on Calvert Lewin because I've got Wolves. Um, I would be looking at buying Cavani in, and uh, there's perhaps Mane as well against uh, against Burnley. Um, looks a bit shaky, didn't they, against Leeds? So on that cold streak still, um, but no Jota means that Mane will continue playing. Oh, I just don't know. I mean, looking at the fixtures of 37, um, the rankings are really interesting. Uh, so you've got uh, uh, Newcastle, that home game against Sheffield United. Like, I really wish, and I saw that our friend Paul James Crowell said this earlier on, I really wish Callum Wilson was fit. Because that would be one of the games I would buy him in for. And I think he would conspire to somehow score a goal there. Um, but uh, I mean, really, is anyone going to be buying in Joe Linton? I, if anyone does stick their head above the parapet and buys him, match Isn't this the same logic that led to GCL? It is. It is. Uh, but, yeah. But I mean, it's a, counteracting team. it's a counter-attacking team, isn't it? So I wouldn't be investing in Newcastle, frankly. Uh, West Ham against West Brom. I might buy a defender there. And I've got Lingard there. Mm, I don't know. Maybe you could, there's a case for Antonio. A case, I don't know about a case for Lingard, depending on judging on the eye test, but there you go. Um, Arsenal against Crystal Palace. Well, Palace are actually you know, unrestrained, high scoring Crystal Palace. And then you know, it goes down to you know, like so Everton versus Wolves, I mean, really. And the big ones, Man United versus Fulham and Liverpool versus Burnley. I mean, obviously, there's a few obvious captains we'll speak about in a bit. But Anthony, and are there any sort of you know punts there? As I mentioned, you know, I'm looking at Mares um, for the game versus Brighton. I mean, are there any other punts that, you, that will cross your mind? Any City player is a punt, and if they start, I feel like it'll be a good pick. It's just kind of getting over that first hurdle. I feel like is the bigger challenge for them than actually picking up the goals or the assists in that game against Brighton. So I yeah, feel the, the more team sheet, the team sheet, uh, uh, the hyperventilation, isn't it really with, with City that happens all the time? Yeah. And I'm, I'm not sure for me anyway, personally, it's not worth that particular risk. That said, I think a risk maybe picking the alternative pick in the United game against Fulham. So that would be meaning captaining the likes of Greenwood or Cavani could be tempting uh, ahead of Fernandez, And of course, that being in the very first games of the game week, you might have a chance of getting some team news for that game ahead, whereas very unlikely for any of the rest of them. Uh, with that in mind too, the Liverpool game, yes, you could captain the alternatives there. For example, Trent mightn't be a bad option. I wouldn't go for Mane. It just feels a bit too dangerous. Uh, Salah would be the, the main pick. And then I know that Tottenham are going to be popular enough given that Villa had a very off game they're not playing for anything um, but at the same time they weren't bad uh, at the weekend against Wolves and with that 
would you go for Kane? I think he would be the differential captain because I feel like people are still going to be going for Bruno on mass and Salah on mass before they ever get to Kane. And that's where he could be a differential or indeed Son. But Son, um, he's just not getting as many chances as he was earlier in the year. I was going to say that earlier on when you said about um, uh, Villa being a bit whipping boyish, um, that you said that oh, yeah, people may be captain Kane. I just don't think people, I don't think people are going to get there. I think we're going to see people saying, "Well, you know, obviously we saw people buying Bruno in the market forces versus Fulham." I think his EO is going to be over the hundred. Maybe you know, Salah's EO is going to be over the hundred versus Burnley. Again, you may be in a situation where Kane at home to Villa and people may be owning Martinez and thinking, well, I don't want to captain him against my own goalkeeper. But I can imagine Spurs going for it and Kane himself as well. I know people have said, you know, obviously the golden boot, et cetera, et cetera. Well, he and Salah are now level uh, for the golden boot, both on 22 goals. So I mean, individually, uh, we've seen Kane in the past swear on his daughter's life that he touched the, the ball that was going in from Ericsson um, to be awarded the goal. Like that's how much scoring means to him. I know we're branching into football Twitter sort of chatter here, but I mean, Aston Villa next uh, and that Leicester game, surely he's going to be full throttle as well as salaries as well, of course, versus Burnley. Um, but I mean, it's interesting to see that he could be one of those players who's a bit overlooked, isn't Anthony? I think he could be moving on chances and captains from the players. He must be in the mix. He would be, yeah. I guess it's just important to note as well. It's not like Villa have been atrocious, but at the same time, it's like one, you know, very unconvincing game at this time of the season makes you wonder if his side is completely down tools. And I think we're kind of imputing an awful lot onto them there. Yes, Kane does have an awful lot to play for, but it's not enough for me to want to captain him this game week, I don't think. I will stick to either going for the safety of a Fernandez or Salah pick or differentiating further down win in the United players if I can get a leak early enough because I have Danny Ings in my team and I have very little interest in keeping him for this Leeds fixture uh, which kind of maybe it was a bit stupid to bring him in for just one blank game week but I felt it was worth the risk with the fixture that he had I have no interest in this game week and he's 8.4 and a pretty big value hog there that I don't really want and so Tom, you've kind of inspired me a little bit talking about Cavani in this pod. And with that in mind, I think I might go Ings to Cavani. Mm, but I, nice. uh, but captaining him would maybe be a huge risk for me. So I would only do it if I had enough info to say that he was going to start because realistically he only will get an hour. Yeah, no, I think I think the expected minutes are 75 minutes according to FPL review. So yeah, it makes sense. Mm, Captain's rise, I'm Captain Myers. Um, I'm fairly sure I'll do that and hope that he plays. If he doesn't play, well, you know, them's the breaks. Um, and um, I'm probably going to follow your advice, funnily enough. Um, so we, we've helped each other for once. I'm probably going to be um, moving out uh, Mr. Veltman uh, for Mr. Shufal. And hoping that West Brom game, the West Brom players aren't G'd up by the crowd to do a goal, um, or even if they are, um, that West Ham are going to be able to do something on the break. Because I think that, as I said last week, actually, Shuval's a sort of player who does um, excel on, in the counter-attacking counter conditions of a great engine. Um, this is it, actually. Is, is this a week that you really should captain a team at home? Like, really, is it a good week to be captaining a Liverpool player away to Burnley? You kind of just made me rethink that a little bit. Like, is that actually just silly? Of all the years, you think Burnley usually you might think have down tools, absolutely terrible in the last game. Uh, but at the same time, at home, Turf Moor, fans back, not acceptable to play too badly. Happy place, Turf Moor. I mean, to be fair, I, I'm looking, uh, I'm looking at um, you said earlier on about getting a leak uh, for United. If I get a leak and it says that Greenwood is starting, I probably would cap- change the captaincy from Mario's to Greenwood. I think the city just in general, are too good a team to be you know, phased by a few people on the South Coast shouting at them. <laughs> but um, but it's, no, it's, I, not, I it's, it's not about that. It's, it's more just about like how many goals they can score and how you know exciting that would be. What could be interesting is, you know, if you like, for example, the Chelsea game could become very spicy uh, at home to Leicester. Oh, that's going to be, there. that's the, like, that, that's the biggest game. That's, that's the biggest on, game both on. of those team seasons. That could be one which is really interesting. I mean, Liverpool um, by winning with that last gasp goal, suddenly you know that's a six pointer, isn't it, for both of those teams? Like, and obviously it's going to win one one. We all know that. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I, I know, I know what you mean. I think that that 
Man United game in particular becomes very targetable, doesn't it? Because as you said earlier on, Oli's going to set out to entertain the fans and maybe that could be something to lean into. I think there's going to be a really, um, judging by the FA Cup final, there's going to be a real impact that the fans are going to have on the performance. I'm hoping there's going to be anyway, or at least on the spectacle at least. Uh, maybe the performance is a bit more sort of subjective and sentimental, but um, on the spectacle for sure there's going to be something there and maybe that will transmit to the players and maybe there's going to be something about, I mean, obviously Wembley is a neutral stadium, uh, but playing at home, you know, uh, in familiar home comforts, um, things are very, very different. Um, so yeah, if, if I hear... Um, I should have said this earlier on. Um, or maybe maybe now you've prompted me to say it, Anthony. Um, but if I hear that Greenwood is going to be playing, I think I may be tempted to move the armband from Mario to Greenwood. And for what it's worth, if I am feeling particularly punty and the team news comes our way early enough, then I actually would have enough to go Ings to Cavani and also to move out Jota out of my side and get Greenwood back in. Um, so there's kind of, the, I need 0.4 to be able to afford that jotted Greenwood move and that could be a way to do it. So it would be a hit at that point, but it could be worth it. But I'd need that starting team. I mean, do you think, uh, just to end, before we end the pod, like the impact of the fans um, at home or at least on football in general, like obviously we had we had the chat at the beginning about it being very sentimental. You know, it's, it's obviously obviously kind of it felt like it elevated that game into something which it is did. beyond just a, a clinical, sterile sort of fixture that we've seen recently. Like, do you think that there is going to be a discernible impact when the fans come back? So I think we're in a very interesting situation. We've not really seen um, the removal of fans before. Um, and do you think we will see that players do react to it? Now, there's a few suggestions, of course, Liverpool this year. I mean, we've, we've seen that uh, obviously recently they've kind of been able to pull out the bag. But over the course of the season, there's been a few sort of suggestions there. It's been because of the fact they've been without their fans doing any kind of job there. Um, like just how much you see them having an impact on, I guess, FPL, if you can, Anthony, but football in general? I think that in the very short term, so I mean, basically these next two game weeks, I expect it to have a pretty big impact because it's not going to be a run of the mill. I Obviously, yeah, there are scientific studies that have showed that home advantage is something that exists in football and it's something we've definitely seen before. And it, there is a you know, there's reason yeah. why people talk about captaining players at home and not away and la da 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 But I do feel that in particular, these two game weeks where it's a complete novelty, where on the beachness may not necessarily, probably isn't acceptable, actually. And that even goes for the teams that are getting relegated. I feel like they all are, would be expected to put on a show in front of their home, in front of their fans. I feel like even... For footballers, and I know often we often forget about the fact that these people are humans and we think that they may not care about the club that they play for, that they're mercenaries or whatever. I do feel like the the boy that you know loved football and has grown into a footballer will want to put on a show in front of home fans. And I, I think that even for the most mercenary character, that will still shine through this weekend of all weekends and the weekend after, of course, when the other the alternative sides have home fixtures. I wish FBL wasn't a boring game to watch, like as in literally the interface of FPL watching things happen. Because you saying that, I've literally just moved my captain to Mason Greenwood. Um, but I mean, I, I think that you're probably right. And I think it'll be really interesting to see the performers, um, the performance uh, level aspect come into play. For some people, if there's an audience there, it will shirk away, you know, shrinking violet. Other people will you know, take the adrenaline and use that and channel that to become a better version of themselves. Um, but yeah, no, it's a really interesting kind of topic, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. And I think when we see stadiums being completely packed out as well, that that's going to be another aspect of it. But that's more of a next season thing, of course. And we look forward to that greatly when that does eventually happen. Coming to the end of the pod, uh, one more thing to mention is there will be an FPL meetup in London um, other than the Fan Football Fest. Yeah, I know. But, uh, I thought it would be a great event. Um, but we are going to do another one. Um, unfortunately, Anthony can't make it due to COVID and C's reasons. Hang on, if someone has uh, an airplane or is <laughs> feels like like sending an airplane over to Cork, then great. But uh, yeah, unfortunately in Ireland, we're just a little bit still uh, reticent to travel abroad. I'd love to. And if it turns out that, you know, a month out that it looks like it will be possible, I'll go, but probably won't be there. 
Yep, so it'll be 24th of July. Um, unfortunately, it is in London. Sorry, people who aren't too proximal, um, but that's just kind of the way it is at the moment. Uh, we're doing that in collaboration with our friends at Planet FPL and at FPL Surgery. Uh, the venue will be revealed on Tuesday on Twitter and you know, across their podcast and across ours as well. Yes, it's just in a pub. But it will no doubt be a great event that we try. To, you know, we try to do this every summer. Um, last summer, obviously, we couldn't do it. Um, but you know, every summer we do try to do a meet up for long term kind of listeners. You'll know this. Uh, the idea um, is that we'll have it all day. Um, so we'll book it out from you know three pm till late. Uh, we'll be there trying to pace ourselves throughout the day and probably ordering something absolutely you know, terribly dirty like chicken wings or something. Um, but the idea is that people can come and go. It'll be very central too. No, these are always great full of soul, uh, full of just basically chatting about shit. So even if you don't know anyone, do come along. Um, come and find me. You should know what I look like. Or come and find James Linden uh, from Planet FPL or Surgery. You know what they look like. Come and find uh, Rich or James Drury uh, from FPL Surgery. You know what they look like as well. And we will welcome you, have a chat with you, and introduce you to other people. And uh, it's all very, very nice. Uh, trust me, there's no sort of clique things going on. Everyone is very, very friendly. It's just a load of FPL people all meeting up and having a chat. And most of the time, you know, you don't chat about FPL at all. You talk about other things um, in life. Uh, but yeah, no, uh, really looking forward to that. So hopefully everyone can come. And I'll be, um, as I said, putting up a, a venue um, a venue notice on Tuesday with a, a nice little kind of a banner that we're designing with FPL dudes as well. So yeah, really cool stuff. Yeah, I'd really encourage people to go to that. I've been to some smaller scale meetups uh, in quite a few different places in my time uh, on FPL Twitter. And I would say that they're always really enjoyable. And I think we've touched on it before in other pods, but you break down an awful lot of the barriers of meeting a new person when you have so much in common and you know you have that in common when you meet them. It's just immediately kicks into a good conversation, no matter who you're speaking to and moves from there, as Tom says. Anyway, in the meantime, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. We were Who Got the Assist. Thanks so much for listening. And don't forget to hit subscribe if you have not already. If you want to send in correspondence, it's whogottheassist at gmail.com. Bit of a question there in that we only have one podcast left in the year and we have a few emails sitting there already. But we will get to them at some point, but maybe make them a little bit more evergreen if you want to send them in now. Yeah, but anyway, thanks for listening. We're back on Wednesday evening with a preview of the final week of the season. Uh, we hope this is you and we'll speak to you very, very soon. Goodbye. Thank you. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Podcast Network.